the perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features ensure that you can take on any adventure. What kind of features? Well, how about the available H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud? Or the standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together? How about available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone? We're always trying to think about those great spring and summer getaways, but with a car like the Hyundai Santa Fe, anywhere can be your next adventure. To learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe, go to HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson, Tom Fernelli, Danny Cannell, and Bud Elliott. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Bud Elliott. That's Tom Fernelli. I'm Chip Patterson coming to you live at YouTube.com slash Cover 3 and all across the 24-7 Sports Facebook network. Thanks for hanging out. Smash that subscribe. Smash that like. Come and join us in the chat. Woo! Boys, it's been a day. We have had the SEC East. Georgia takes control from start to finish against Tennessee. Uh, They are looking fantastic. Lots to get into there. We just saw Brian Kelly have his first iconic moment since his family going for two to win the game in overtime against Alabama, notching a great win for the Tigers that, that, yes, puts them at the front of the SEC West. A two-loss team in the college football playoff? Better get your mind around it. We'll get into that as well. The Clemson Tigers fell all over themselves and got bowled over against Notre Dame, uh, and that's only just like a small piece of this. Texas takes down Kansas State. The TCU survives against Texas Tech after trailing in the third quarter. There is so much to pull apart here, but I think we got to begin with the SEC on CBS Game of the Week. Uh, Danny Cannell's not here, so I guess he doesn't get to do his, like, you know, I, I, I took on the one-verse-two, you know, celebration. Tom, do you, do you want to get us, like... You actually called this. You said, we'll know in the first quarter how this goes. We all called this, Bud Elliott as well, when he said, what happens in red zone possessions? Because when the scoring opportunities are field goal, field goal, interception in the end zone, guess what? You're not going to win the game. 
What'd you make of uh, of Georgia's win against Tennessee? Take away the explosion plays and the big plays from Tennessee and see if they could figure out a way to beat you by putting together long drives. Georgia's plan, Georgia executed it, and Tennessee couldn't. And we saw, like, the one thing we haven't seen a whole lot of this year when Tennessee plays is we haven't seen Hendon Hooker pressured. Hendon Hooker was pressured, and a lot of his throws were off because of it. They were coming up short. They were high. They were off to the left. And then when it started to rain, it was accuracy. It was even more of a problem. As amazing as he looked all season long and at the at back half of last season, he looked like Joe Milton today. Like, so it's... It was terrible for Tennessee's offense, obviously. And then on the other side, Stetson Bennett was just, I mean, Georgia at times was looking like Tennessee. They were, instead of being outside the numbers, they were throwing deep down the seams and hitting big play after big play after big play. And on the other side, too, I can't remember if I mentioned it on HQ or if I said it on the show here when we were previewing the game. I know we focus on the big plays in the passing game that Tennessee has put together all season long. But everything they do was still predicated on the run game. And if you take that away from them, it becomes much easier to stop that overall. Today, Tennessee, 94 yards rushing on 42 carries, 2.2 yards per attempt. Georgia took it away, and it becomes so much easier to defend them when you do that. Uh, before garbage time, if we're going to define, you know, like the final 10 minutes of that Tennessee-Georgia game as garbage time, Tennessee did not have a 20-yard pass play. Nope. Not, not one. They only had five plays on the entire day that were more than 10 yards. Georgia physically whipped them, and they also mentally whipped them. Uh, when you're playing Tennessee, I feel like there is a there's sort of a thing where you know, no matter how hard you try to play some too deep stuff, and no matter how hard you try to eliminate the explosive plays, there's still going to be these these times where it's like, like, like if you're a pitcher and you hang a curveball and this guy smokes it and you turn around, right? Whew. Okay, just went foul, right? There was a couple times in the first half when Tennessee actually had a guy open, right? And they just missed it. The the one uh like there's just a slight overthrow. And then they had the one where initially the guy looked looked open and then Ringo really outleveraged him for the football, had a tremendous pick. But Georgia was pretty damn determined to not allow the explosive play over the top and see if Hennon Hooker could be accurate inside the, the short area. Now, that's not to say he's not an accurate passer, but that was something that most teams had not been able to do to them so far this year. And I mean, like we talked about, they were 100% in <laughs> goal-to-go situation touchdowns. Non-garbage like, time. Right, non-garbage time. Thank you, Chip. That was not going to be sustainable. But at what rate would it normalize, right? Would they, would they get down there a whole bunch of times and maybe score touchdowns at like a 70 or 75% clip? Right, if they had five chances, I mean, are, are they going to put up, you know, thirty-one points, four tutties in a field goal, and Georgia really just beat them physically. But also, like, I thought Georgia found ways to mess with their protections with, with with some of those simulated pressures. Right, like they were bringing guys from all over, but they weren't outnumbering Tennessee for the most part. Like you didn't see Georgia bring a lot of seven. Right, they would bring five, but I do think it made Hooker process where the five were coming from, and I thought that allowed Georgia maybe a half second count to go and get them. Uh, yeah. They also won physically with a light box, which to Tom's point about taking away the run, I mean, that was key. The interior defenders for Georgia being able to eat up gaps and stop the run with five was was huge. I thought that was another key point that you just touched on too because like so much of what Tennessee does offensively is predicated on 
what Hooker's seeing pre-snap. Like you kind of know what the decision is. And then, all right, I see the read. I see what the coverage they're in because that's the whole point of us spreading everything out the way we do. And now I just know I got to see what this guy does and bang. Now that's what I'm going to do. But Georgia did such an excellent job of not letting him know what they were doing pre-snap. And it took him longer to process it once the ball was in play. And you can't really take that kind of time against the pass rush that they were facing against Georgia. It was just everything was not going their way at all. But that was also against our trends. You know, we were saying like, Georgia, where are the tackles for loss? Where are the sacks? Mm -hmm. Oh, no, we lost Nolan Smith. How mm -hmm. are we going to get our sacks and tackles for loss? Like, I thought that. That was a that was that was a coaching job. Like there were two sides where I felt like, and maybe because I was sitting here in the in that Tennessee um, beam, that that orange glow of everything that they'd done, classic vibes guy over here. But like Georgia reminded me that yes, despite anything that you want to say about Stetson Bennett, like that guy can step up and deliver some some good throws. I mean. Who had more throws of 20-plus yards? Was it Stetson Bennett or Hendon Hooker? Stetson Bennett. It had to be Stetson. Yeah, it's Stetson Bennett. Like, Stetson Bennett was in there delivering the touchdown throws that we thought that Hendon Hooker was going to be delivering. And we saw Georgia's defense after, yes, statistically not having the kinds of sacks and tackles for loss that we saw a year ago in the biggest game of the season just kind of remind us where they're at. Kirby Smart said in media availability this week, we're not to where we want to be yet. And I kind of felt like this was a big step in Georgia turning the corner. And I, I don't want to move on yet, but I want to say that in the context of an absolutely insane college football day where there was a lot that was not expected, there was a lot that was shaken up in terms of the landscape, Georgia has become Alabama-esque in its inevitability. Like Georgia has become that team where it was like, all right, here we go. We got this fun team. They're going to get them. And they just squeezed the life out of the volunteers from start to finish. It was wildly impressive. I don't think there's any argument as to who the number one, and like we'll get to the projecting top 25 in a little bit, but there's no argument as to who the alpha in college football is after this Saturday. Yeah, you say they were Alabama-esque. I wonder because, like, Georgia, it feels like, was kind of playing with its food a lot this year. Like, it's been a really good team. It's been winning games, but it hasn't been the same kind of dominant team. And it's something you used to talk about, Chip, a few years ago when Clemson was in the midst of being Clemson. How Dabo and that staff would kind of not really hit the gas until later in the season because he would talk about how it's now, you know, it's a 14-game season now. Like, we got to be make sure we're healthy. We got to make sure we're fresh for that. Is Georgia doing the same kind of thing where they were they're not it's not that they aren't playing hard every week, but are they keeping a little extra in the tank for games like this where they absolutely need to bring it out and then putting on a performance like that? You know, kind of like an NBA team that maybe isn't worried about getting the number one seed in the regular season. And then once the playoff starts, bang, it's full bore load I, management. Yeah. How uh, how on a percentage basis, how much of that Florida week do you think Georgia devoted to Florida? And how much do you think Georgia devoted to Tennessee? <laughs> a lot to Tennessee. <laughs> yeah, I'm, th I'm thinking so. And that bye week probably had uh, not a Tennessee day, but probably some Tennessee periods, mm -hmm. maybe. And that's because what Tennessee does is, is so unique. And like Georgia was able to play down a gap, right, at times on the interior, which really was, was pretty impressive. 
they they could play some two man stuff, and they really like they would give you some of the short throws. They also tackled extremely well, right? I mean, like that Tennessee. How often did Tennessee convert one of those short throws into something bigger? It was pretty rare, right? When 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 I mean convert, like they would t- take it from four to ten yards. It wasn't like they were turning it into something forty. Georgia tackled well. They played really good man coverage. They confused Hen and Hooker, which you know, can be tough to do because of how spread out you are. They handled the stack formations well, which is something that, that Tennessee just ripped Bama with and, and also ripped Kentucky with. I thought their response to motion was fine. They, I thought they had a pretty good feel on on Hooker's cadence, not not cadence, but like like on when not. I don't mean like when he was going to call for the for the ball because they, they use their, their clap stuff. But what I mean is like when the play was actually going to go. And some of their late late, late movement by, by Georgia, they really held it for as long as they could at times and then showed it. They were impressive, man. And, like, defensively, um, yes, we need to credit Georgia's offense for ripping Tennessee's defense somewhat. But at the same time, Tennessee's defense, when it gets away from Knoxville this year, has been hot trash, right? Like, if Pitt does not lose Keaton Slovis and Pitt's offense is bad, if he doesn't get knocked out of that game, there's a pretty good chance Pitt hangs like mid forties, you know, ish on them. They, they were running the ball up and down the field and throwing it on them, kind of the same way Georgia did for the first forty minutes of this game. Did Hendon Hooker lose the Heisman today? Yes. Ooh, no, no doubt. I'm kind of with you. I'm wondering. I mean, we, the way that the Heisman works is it's always like if you could play great in September and October, if you screw up even a little bit in November, they're just going to wait till somebody plays great for the final two weeks of the season. Yeah, so, I, I took some Stroud plus one ninety this morning. Just thinking about it, I was like, "Wait a second! Like, <laughs> he didn't have much of a game. Yeah. So we'll get to that. Yeah, little, yeah but he didn't have a loss and and didn't didn't go you know one hundred ninety five, no touchdowns and a pick. He had no touchdowns and less than hundred yards and a win. He ran for more yards than he threw for. Is Caleb Williams going to take a loss tonight? No, USC's up thirteen seven. I don't think the upsets are done. Oh, Nostra Chippis over here. <laughs> Nostra Chippis is what? Just Nostra Chippis just took an L on a Clemson under that hurt real bad. Oh, we talked about this pre-show. I was like, somebody had this, and I it was, yeah. Yeah. Trash. Now, hey, congratulations, Marcus Freeman. You've got Isaiah Foskey hurt because you decided that you were going to just get out there and, and let Dabo go get a feel-good touchdown. <laughs> going to run the clock out instead of throwing a touchdown to Michael Mayer. Anyway, that can be for another time. We need to talk about LSU because that, to me, feels like the, like a, a monumental win in a lot of different ways within the context of the season within the big picture of the LSU Brian Kelly era. Like, I do not think that this is a red herring. I, I think that this is fairly significant. What, let's stick with the game itself. What did LSU do that impressed you the most from this? Make Bryce Young hold the, hold the football. Yeah. It kept everything in front. It covered. And it's, it goes back to like one of the things we've talked about with Alabama all year. They don't have the dudes at receiver that they've normally had the last few years. And that leaves them in the passing game kind of having to throw underneath to Gibbs or other running backs out of the backfield and their tight ends. And they can't stress defenses outside the numbers, at least not consistently. 
And LSU knew that. LSU kind of did a very good job of keeping everything in front. It was putting pressure on Bryce. He seemed hesitant to run. He didn't seem quite confident in what he was trying to do. There were some times where I thought if he'd have made the decision a second quicker, he probably gets the big player. If he takes off running, he gets the first down. Instead, he would get tackled and you know sacked for a loss or whatever. It's just they were flustering him all night. He had a terrible game. I mean, he had the huge play, the 41-yard touchdown to Corey Brooks. He made plays on the stretch to get Alabama back into the game, but he was still overall 25 of 51 for 328. He had the touchdown, started the game with an interception. Alabama drives down the field, first possession of the game, and again, it goes right back to it. He's in the pocket. He's flustered. He starts to run. He could have probably just walked into the end zone. And then for some reason, he decides to stop and throw the ball, and he throws it behind his target. I can't remember who it was, but it's picked off, ends the first possession. And that was kind of just a sign for how the entire night was going to go for him. So there's a coordinator in this game, right? Well-respected, popular name, NFL experience, should be getting a lot of hype for, for coaching jobs. And his name is Matt House. He's the LSU defensive coordinator, right? They did such a good job with their sim pressures tonight. You should have sold Bill O'Brien more if you were trying to do like the real, like, you know, there you should have left chin. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. 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 LSU I, defensive coordinator, Matt House. I'm sorry. I've never met Matt House, but, uh, but like that, that guy doing what he's done with LSU's defense, extremely impressive here. Like I, I thought he had Bryce Young flustered for, for much of the night, right? And that Bama's having to rely on throwing passes to running backs and getting creative with that kind of stuff. Is pretty interesting. He didn't have, did not have to blitz much. He used Harold Perkins extremely well. Uh, if an NIL deal had something to do with with uh, with that money, well spent, man. That is a hell of a get, get for the Tigers. Harold Perkins is uh, if he stays healthy, that that's a three and out first round uh, you know linebacker there. Tremendous job, like looping him off the edge, and I, I just you rarely see Bryce Young uh, confused. Like he was, they played sticky coverage. They minimized the weakness at times of their corners, and uh, I was I was impressed, man. That was that was quality. But also, like LSU made nice adjustments in the second half, right? So in the first half, I thought LSU was trying to run their normal stuff offensively, and Bama really was eating your lunch. Like I had first half under here, and I was like, yeah, this is playing out exactly like I thought, right? LSU tackles probably can't block Bama's edges one on one. Jalen Daniels is not able to process all these reads as fast as he wants. They're trying to run a lot of this four wide stuff, or at least send you know like four men out in the route. And in the second half, they they use a little motion a little bit better. They went to more six and seven man protections. And I I uh, I really thought LSU made the better adjustments in the second half than Alabama did, and and got the win. So, what's next for Alabama? They might lose. Because they barely beat Texas on the road. They beat Arkansas on the road pretty convincingly, but they lost to Tennessee on the road, and they just lost LSU on the road. And where are they next week? On the road at Ole Miss. Um, is this Saban's last year? Worth considering. Yeah, I mean, I feel like like this amount of talent not getting it to the playoff is uh, – I, I think it's really just – does Bama look well coached to you? I, I thought it was so symbolic tonight, man, on the two-point conversion out of a freaking timeout that they had to take. Had the extra guy. They yeah. still had 12 men on the field. The guy's running off before LSU runs it in. Like it To me, Bama does not look as well coached as they have been. Bama's best win is a squeaker in Austin 
over a three-loss Texas team when Ewers got knocked out, right? It's like when you look at this team, it is still clearly one of the best teams in the country. Most talented. Yeah. And definitely one of the best. Yeah, I agree. It's not going to be in the playoff now, but comparing it to what you're used to seeing from Alabama, it's not that good. Like in the context of Alabama, this is one of the least inspiring, least impressive Alabama teams I've seen in a while. And I feel like. No, 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 no. Say what you said in Slack. Compared. Okay. In the context of Alabama, this Alabama team is cheeks. It cheeks. is bad. It is yeah, not. The C in Crimson Tide stands for cheeks. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that was. I feel like last year they were better last year, but there were still the same kind of little things that it was just like, huh? It's like coming off of 2020 and even in 2019 when LSU won the national title. I just feel like there's been a slightly downward trend every single season. Agreed. So LSU's remaining schedule because LSU has a win against Ole Miss. LSU has a win tonight because they've got the tiebreaker on both of them. No, I'm, I'm asking if you trust LSU to be able to win two road games at Arkansas, at Texas A&M. At Arkansas, yes. Arkansas lost to Liberty. Texas A&M, yeah, but I, I think that, well, I don't think it'll be easy. I think that A&M will be easy. Uh, just watch, watching them today, they, I don't think they have it. Um, just, they that looks like a dead team walking. Transfer portal A and M problem. Yeah. Well, A and M had the flu today as well. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like the I, transfer I, portal flu. Yeah. <laughs> is that what we think that was? No, like, no, 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 no. I just heard her kids got like. The there is flu. no. There is no reporting. That's just that's just me sitting around like yeah yeah yeah. Mm-hmm. You don't want to get hurt because you're checked out. <laughs> that. That makes sense. Um. Like, what what are they going to be favored at Arkansas? Nine, nine to ten, probably. Yeah, like what what was what was Bama at Arkansas? Like 14, 15 and a half? Four, yeah, it was something like that. All right, two so, scores. I know that or two touchdowns. I know that. Cl- like clearly, they're not going to make Bama's power rating over what, or they're not going to make LSU power rated higher than what Bama was going into that game. So. Yeah, they'll probably be like a 10-point favorite. Arkansas Arkansas has sleptwalked twice this year through these weird games. And they kind of screwed around with BYU for about the first 35 minutes as well, if you recall. And that was back when we thought BYU was okay. We didn't realize how bad they are. Um, I I don't know. Like, I think the, 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 the overarching verdict, though, Chip, is if they don't go undefeated, I don't trust this Bama team to beat Georgia. No, no, Georgia's going to blow this Bama team out. So that was my other take. Like, even if Alabama had won, I was going to come on here saying, can we please stop the three SEC team in the playoff crap because Alabama's going to get its ass kicked by Georgia and Atlanta. Is LSU? Yeah, probably. They they, they won't be able to run the ball against Georgia. If you can't run the ball against Georgia, you're not going to be able to – they can't throw it. They can't beat you through the air consistently. Yeah, I, I mean, most of their run tonight, they're like over half of their their rushing yards were were Daniels, right? So, I don't know. It's it's possible. I, I would still have Georgia favored pretty hard. Oh yeah, I mean, of course you're going to have Georgia favored, but that doesn't mean that they're going to win. 
Yeah, I, I think a, be- a better point here, or a, a question I want to ask you guys, because I, I know Tom and I talked about it. Is the SEC down? Yes. It is not that good. And as I joked before the show, the obvious way to know that the SEC is not that good is because how can Tennessee be doing this well if the SEC is so good? <laughs> Jordan's going to catch your mic. <laughs> Sorry, Jordan. Illinois lost today, too. It's okay, buddy. I'm just dealing with it. <clears throat> I would ask then, like, well, who are you moving up? Because you can say, is the SEC not that good? Sure. All right. Well, does that mean that the Big Ten is awesome? No, I think it's completely separate from itself. I think the SEC is just not as good as it normally is. I don't think, I think if you yeah. look at every single conference this year, and we'll get into more, I've got some stuff to talk about when we get to the ACC, boys. You might not want to hear it. But I think that by and large, they're really like Georgia looked dominant as hell today, but I don't think we've seen a dominant team in the country anywhere this year. I don't think any conference is really all that particularly special this year. I don't think, I mean, the SEC's had a bunch of one loss teams, but now that they've all actually have to play each other. This would be a fun year for the 12 team playoff to see who could really get their stuff together over the next month and, and emerge. Right. Cause everybody, almost everybody in the country has looked pretty vulnerable at one time or another. Georgia probably the least so, uh, but like they played a really tight game with Missouri. Mm-hmm. You know, that's probably a Missouri team that won't make a bowl. So, yeah. yeah. I, I think the Big 12 is the best conference from top to bottom, but I don't think the Big 12 has an actual like elite team. Yeah, we just saw Texas. I mean, we're going to get into it in a little bit, but we just saw Texas go into Manhattan and beat Kansas State. Uh, we just saw Oklahoma State continue its absolute free fall in a loss against Kansas. They already have new field goal posts, no GoFundMe needed. Um, <laughs> we have, uh, like the ACC, as we mentioned, is in struggling. The I guess the Big Ten can say that Michigan righted the ship, but things looked a little dicey there for a little bit. Yeah, that I mean... I don't know. Michigan's just doing that sometimes in the first half this year. Like they're just kind of Indiana. Yeah. And then finally coming out in the second half and just like, oh, oh, okay. I guess we should start playing football now. All right. More about Notre Dame or more about Clemson? Uh, I have a fun little fact about Notre Dame for you guys. Let's do it. Let's hear it. All right. So Notre Dame this year has lost to Stanford. And Marshall to well, Stanford's terrible. Marshall's okay, but whatever. The whole point is Notre Dame has lost to Stanford and Marshall, but Notre Dame has played three ACC teams. In fact, Notre Dame has played three of the best ACC teams as far as the standings and the rankings are concerned. One of them was North Carolina, which it won on the road 45 to 32. The other was Syracuse, which it won on the road 41 to 24. Tonight, at home against Clemson, the number four team in the country, according to some people, it won 35-14. to 14. So explain to me how a Notre Dame team that can't beat Stanford or Marshall could beat the crap out of the ACC's best teams. Is it possible that the ACC sucks? What do you guys think? Yeah, I think it's extremely possible. Uh, it's also possible that Notre Dame is extremely like game script dependent, where... Yes. Yes. If they get up, they're going to have a chance because they have a good defense. And tonight, they blocked a punt, right? Uh, but 
and blocked a punt for a score, which and also was, pick six and a pick six. Mm-hmm. Right. Notre Dame won a game tonight with 85 yards passing. Yes. This is almost exactly how we detailed it in the preview in which I took Clemson and was wrong to do so clearly. So there you go, Irish fans. But I took Clemson because Notre Dame's passing game is atrocious and Drew Pine is terrible. And because I didn't think they'd be able to run the ball all that well, I was wrong on that On that point. I mean, they, they ran the ball pretty damn well. Now, they ran it 47 times for 263, which is good, but it's also like, all right, I mean, you, you ran it 47 times. We had a clip, and I don't think Jordan ha- – like, I don't think we actually found it. Jordan, tell me in the private chat if you did, of me about two months ago talking about the inexperience of Clemson's coaching staff and the promotion decisions that Davos Swinney made. And defensively, we have a much larger gap uh, than we do offensively, right? Clemson's offensive staff has a total lack of P5 experience outside of Clemson. So my question, after the Georgia Tech game, and certainly I've looked wrong on this for about the last eight weeks because they have looked much better overall Clemson's offense has, was if you get in a tough game, if you get in a hard game, if, if you don't have answers, who's going to have your answers? Who can say, hey, man, like, I think in our self-scout, we need to be doing this. When I was at blank, we did this. When I was over here, we did that. If everybody just knows Clemson stuff, then I think that's kind of where your answer's coming from outside Clemson. I, I think that staff is too inexperienced on the offensive side of the football, personally. I just, yeah, I just don't think they're that good. They certainly weren't the fourth best team in the country. I think that was very good tonight. Tom's just going to sit on that one right there. I just, <laughs> yeah, but, uh, but I think you could very well say like they're pretty, e- they, they were a pretty easy, like top six, top seven team in the day. Yeah, for sure. But they like to have going back to our Tuesday reaction show to have TCU where you had TCU and have Clemson four was an absolute joke. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, That was silly. Coming up on the other side, we'll take a look at TCU and some of the other big results from all across the week 10 action and our projected Top 25 for Sunday, plus conference by conference. What did we see in week 10? Next. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, 
turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. All right, so I am uh, I'm trying to finish the top 25 right now as I project it. LSU. So one thing that is interesting that happens at this time of year is the AP voters, and this drives Bud absolutely crazy, are influenced by the College Football Playoff Selection Committee, and the College Football Playoff Selection Committee is influenced by the AP voters creates this sort of echo chamber of groupthink um, that you know can, can lead to very frustrating results. So LSU is number 15 in last week's AP poll. They were number 10 in the College Football Playoff Selection Committee rankings after beating Alabama in overtime. Where do you think LSU is going to be? It'll be five in both. In the AP or, or in the playoff AP. Rankings? We're, we're going to do AP. Well, I mean, we can do both. I mean, this is this conversation. They're is about to be the same. <laughs> They're about to be number five. Behind Michigan or behind TCU? It better be TCU, but it might be Michigan. Like, I think it'll be Georgia, Ohio State. Well, actually, it could be both Michigan and TCU. I mean, how far do you think they're going to knock Tennessee down? I've got uh, Tennessee dropping eight. to five. So... You got Tennessee staying above Oregon. Yes. But Oregon played in the afternoon, so they'll have seen them. Oh, wait, they're playing Colorado, so no, they won't. I've got LSU coming in behind Oregon at number seven in the AP poll. Yeah, you're right. With TCU at four. So I've got Georgia one, and like part of my lead is that Georgia's going to do a stranglehold on the number one spot. Because the last couple of weeks, we've had those number one votes where it was last week, Georgia 30, Tennessee 18, uh, Ohio State 15. Tennessee and Ohio State tied for second in the AP poll, but Tennessee had a slight lead in first place votes. I have to assume that given the way that things went for Ohio State in a 21-7 to win at Northwestern, that Tennessee's 18 first place votes are almost entirely going to be going to the Georgia Bulldogs. Georgia takes hold of number one. There is no debate there and probably jumps to number one in the CFP rankings as well. Ohio State at two. Michigan moves up to three. I've got TCU moving from seven to four in the AP poll. Tennessee drops to five. Oregon moves up to six. And then I've got LSU at seven. You want to take? Yeah, of course. That that is the reason why our microphones are on, Tom. Good point. I was going to wait until we talked about the games, but you're talking about Ohio State will be two, Michigan will be three. Michigan should be higher than Ohio State at this point, if I'm being honest. I think they're I, better, they're a better you, football team right now. Doesn't the Notre Dame become a quality win for Ohio State now? Yes. I guess, but just watching Ohio State in its last three games, and like I know today's game was played in a crazy kind of weather, but and they're dealing with injuries. They didn't have Henderson or JSN again today. But like offensively, man, they're just they're not crisp. They can't run the ball. They they like they were able to run the ball early in the season when they weren't really facing any decent defenses. They weren't able to run it against Iowa. They struggled to run it against Penn State. They couldn't run the ball today against Northwestern. It's just 
it's they, they kind of look soft on the offensive line. And I'm just sitting there looking at that matchup when they play Michigan at the end of the year, assuming they're both still undefeated. And I think they will be. I'm kind of leaning toward Michigan again. In, uh, I don't know because nobody's really running the ball on Ohio State for the most part. So Michigan's going to have to throw it in Columbus, I think. Um, yeah, I'm not leaning Michigan yet. I probably wouldn't lay, you know, 10 points though. Yeah. Did you get eyes on, uh, Michigan Rutgers? Very few. Okay. Me neither. That's a Rutgers blocked a punt. I do know that. And that, that, that was a score and that's kind of how they got up early and yeah. Yeah. I was live blogging LSU Alabama. So it was very much like a, like, you know, like up, just keep an eye on that one. But I didn't, once Michigan, took once it got out of hand, yeah, I kicked it off. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, Michigan. I appreciated that. There was, I had nine games on my watch list for the night slate. I was bananas trying to keep hold of it all. And honestly, I just had to let go of the NFL network game of the night, um, Houston and SMU because there were too many touchdowns there. Too many touchdowns, too many commercial breaks. Sorry. Can't keep hold of that uh, all through the way. Elsewhere in the top 25 as we continue on this before we go conference by conference. Uh, I do <clears throat> near the back end of the rankings. I, I got to think Coastal Carolina is going to finally break in. Eight and one. They won on Thursday night against App State. Like they were the last one loss team remaining that was not ranked. Liberty uh, will move up after being 23 in last week's poll. Also 8-1 and one with the 21-19 win against Arkansas. I do not think Kansas State falls out of the polls. Tom, I do not think Illinois falls out of the poll, even after a... What? It might. It's Illinois. If it loses, they'll knock it out. And honestly, if the way, the way they played today, I, I, I won't be upset if they are. <laughs> so I've got Oklahoma State falling out. Fair. Yeah, Wake falling yes. out. Wake falling out, Syracuse falling out, Oregon State falling out. Mm-hmm. So and replaced honestly, by Coastal. Coastal, as Cincinnati gets back in. What? Why? No, come on. No, oh, Chip. Texas, like, Kentucky? Texas, Florida State. Notre Dame. So, Notre Dame. Kentucky. I don't know. Kentucky. I'm not. You can't do Kentucky. You can't do. You can't do Kentucky ahead of Cincinnati. Cincinnati seven. Cincinnati last week. Cincinnati was number 20 last week before they lost to UCF by four points. Yeah. And then, yeah, but they got wildly outplayed. Not that voters watch, but like voters didn't watch. And they were still, they were, what did I have? They were still uh, the 29th team in voting points last week, even after the defeat. Cincinnati isn't good at all. You think they're they're not a top 50 team? You think when their box score scouting for the bottom of their ballots in the morning, they're going to be like, ooh, Cincinnati beat Navy 20 to 10. I'm going to put them back in. No, I think that the the voters that already had them in are going to move them up. And that when other voters are running out of spots, they're going to look at all the standings and they're just going to look for two lost teams. I'm going to say that Texas, Kentucky... Notre Dame and Florida State all stand a better chance of being ranked ahead of Cincinnati, as does Baylor. I've got Texas at 19. I think they jumped the line with the win against Kansas State. So do I, but I'm just saying those teams, I would give a higher chance of being ranked tomorrow than Cincinnati. I've got Notre Dame making a splash at 18. Three lost teams. Break. What, what, 
that high? You can put him behind Liberty in a pick six. You're gonna put. Yeah, I'd have him like 22, 23. Yeah, yeah, but I'm saying, are you going to really put Liberty ahead of Notre Dame? I don't know. I mean, Liberty only has one loss. Notre Dame has what four, three, something like that. Probably three. The Fighting Irish have a very difficult profile to balance because they have wins against Clemson, North Carolina, and Syracuse, but also losses to Marshall and Stanford. And the question is, do you do you look at the losses or the fact that they're six and one in their last seven? The way you said that uh, made like it sounded like you were actually the 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 voice of the committee. <laughs> your, your delivery there was great. Yeah. Man, I if Notre Dame's 18, I just unpoll assassin on Monday. I want to do a most fraudulent top 20 team so we can all just yell Notre Dame. Yeah, like that that's they have a good defense and a terrible offense. Kansas State and, has three losses, Texas has three losses. Like they're back in. They're, they're the bottom of the the pole is going to churn. Mhm. And it's going to churn with three lost power 5 teams. Which fan base will be the most angry about being unranked on Monday? Cincinnati. <laughs> no, Cincinnati fans are not going to get that angry. Baylor. Maybe Baylor, because Baylor, uh, listen, the, I was going to save this one for the Big 12, anger, but they had a banger of a game that I only tuned into late, but it seemed like it was awesome. It was a fun game, yeah. I didn't catch much of it. Um, okay, elsewhere in the rankings, let's see. Big movements. Mm, yeah, I think that's about it because we still have USC in action, still have UCLA in action. That creates a little bit of a log jam in the middle. Utah, Penn State, North Carolina all held serve. Tulane held serve. So it's a total crapshoot basically from 19 to 25. And then up at the top, how high will LSU go? It's the biggest question. Did you say how far you had Alabama falling? Eight. So only two spots? Yeah, I've got them ahead of Clemson, even as a two-loss team. But, you know, Clemson. You have them over Oregon? Yes. No, I've got Oregon, no, no, I've got Oregon ahead of LSU, ahead of Alabama. So it's like Tennessee at five, Oregon at six, LSU at seven, Alabama at eight, Clemson nine, USC 10, depending on how things go. Um, I don't know. I, I, I guess I could sit here and say that Alabama has not played like a top 10 team throughout the year, but then you're going to say, all right, who has? And it's a great counter by you, so I'm not going to say that. You've already uh, advanced to that yeah. part of the that part of the story. Three moves great. ahead, bro. Yeah, we I, can we can wrap this segment and just keep it moving. <laughs> have we have we gone five to eight minutes? Are we good? <laughs> All right. Conference by conference, let's take this around the country. Um, let's begin with the Big Ten because we didn't get a chance to really dive into. Ohio State, 21, Northwestern, 7. Uh, again, Michigan, 52-17 to 17 over Rutgers by the end of it. You'll never take that moment when we were like, are the upset alert sirens on? Oh, man, was Tom Fernelli and the chat and Bud and everybody else right? The moment that the words Purdue were out of my mouth, everyone was like, weather. And uh, sure enough, uh, that one ended up being incredibly significant. And 
that's not even all the fun that was in the Big Ten. Uh, Wisconsin gets it done against Maryland, a team that was on my radar to potentially break into the top 25, but they blew it in Camp Randall. So what were some of the big highlights from the Big Ten this weekend in Week 10? Uh, you had a lack of upsets of the playoff contenders, and then you had – Wisconsin looking like the best team in the Big Ten West, I think, if you had to power rate them right now. But Illinois, I think, still has the inside track because they only have two losses and they have the tiebreaker over uh, Wisconsin. And who do they not have the tiebreaker over in that division, Tom? Their only losses have been to East. Yeah. Still West team, so they've got the tiebreaker over everybody that they played. Although they've got Purdue up next and then they've got Northwestern left to play. But if they beat Purdue, they win the West. Uh, big Ten takeaways. Uh, my Big Ten takeaways are that Illinois should learn how to finish drives in the red zone. Um, Minnesota is the weirdest team in the world to figure out. Because during the first half of that game against Nebraska, they looked like but they were. I was there. I was texting. I was in the group chat. I was like, these guys are fraudulent. fraudulent. And then in the second half, they started playing like the Minnesota team that we saw early in the season. So it was like, okay, so I don't really know what the Gophers are. Iowa all of a sudden can score points. <laughs> but like that, we mentioned Chip Purdue. You took Purdue game with 50 mile per hour wins. It was raining. So that's, of course, that's going to kill Purdue's passing attack. It's what they do. You can't do that in that kind of weather. But why could Iowa all of a sudden? Is it maybe the thought that Spencer Petrus is better in the wind because when he misses his target by 10 feet, the wind blows it back to him? <laughs> I was just thinking, like, if, if you're that bad and you, you don't rely, like, it's fair to say that Iowa does not rely on a lot of precision passing, right? That the wind is less likely to affect you, I, I think. So maybe it's that. I Yeah, I just thought it'd be tough for them given the whole, like, it's very windy thing going on, but hmm. anything else from the Big Ten? Uh, just again, like I touched on earlier, I don't, I don't think I, Ohio State is nearly as good as I thought it was anymore. I think it's just, it's still a very good team. It could still win the Big Ten. It could still be undefeated, and it's. But I don't think I like I did earlier this week on HQ. They had me do a mock college football playoff if it was the 12-team playoff this year based off what the rankings were. And I had Ohio State winning it. If I was to do it tomorrow, I would not have Ohio State winning it. In the Big 12, TCU, again, uh, 34-24, thanks to three fourth-quarter touchdowns uh, against Texas Tech. They remain undefeated. Texas goes and gets the win against Kansas State to remain in the Big 12 title race. Oklahoma State finds itself decidedly out of the Big 12 title race after a loss at Kansas. And Baylor, as we mentioned, uh, goes and gets the 38-35 to win against Oklahoma. Tom, you were texting about Iowa State, West Virginia. I did not have any eyes on that one. So, uh, number one, I think we have to say, while the potential of a second-half collapse again on the road for Steve Sarkeesian was avoided. Got a little bit tense there for the Longhorns. Uh, what did we make of you know Adrian Martinez coming back into the game? 
he giveth and he taketh away, right? That's on my notepad. Adrian Martinez giveth and he taketh away. Uh, what do we think about Texas's 20, 34 to 27 win? Honest I watched God. a ton of this. Oh, sorry. Go talk. Sorry. I just I want honest to God. When Adrian Martinez fumbled the ball, I had a tingle go down my spine. And I just thought of like how an Oregon fan must felt because Adrian Martinez became Adrian Martinez again. When does Bo Nix become Bo Nix again? <laughs> oh, man. Um, look, Texas probably should have put this thing away in the first half. Roshan Johnson had a huge run. Oh, the and punch then, out? Yes, mm-hmm. the, the punch out. I mean, th- this could have been, what was it at half? 31 10? Um, like, this could have been 38 10 at half easily. Kansas State, their best corner is named Justin Brents. And very early in the game, he got hit with a targeting call, which by the letter of the law, sure, you guys know I think targeting is just a, a BS penalty regardless. It's just football. Like, you might get hit. Okay, like if it's a real head, real headhunter thing, maybe talk about it. But uh, I thought that limited what Kansas State could do defensively, and I still didn't think Quinn Ewers looked incredibly sharp. But I thought Sark created enough open guys for him to hit uh, with his play calling. And Bijan Robinson is a total beast to for Texas to run for what they run for two fifty or something like that on this Kansas State front uh, was was pretty impressive. I. I, uh, we all know, like, I think most of us took TCU in the preseason at the 28 or 26 or whatever you end up getting. Um, they're going to be underdogs at Texas and should be. Like, Texas is playing like the best team in the Big 12. Yeah, they are, but I still think, I mean, <laughs> like, they tried to give it away and still couldn't. That's kind of a good sign for Texas. In prior years, they blow this. Yeah, no, that's that's all very true. It's I do think that right now Texas is the most complete, well-rounded team. But I, I don't know, man. TCU just kind of finds a way to keep winning. Although Quentin Johnston, the injury. Do like, we know did, what the significant, like the severity of that is? That's yeah. Like if he's out, that really hurts them. Although they've got enough of the lead in the division where or in the league where they're going to get to the Big Twelve championship, it'll kill their playoff hopes more than anything. But. I don't know. It's just like Texas to me, and I am the guy who says that Quinn Ewers is the most talented quarterback in the country. They are still a little too inconsistent offensively. And I think Bijan is awesome. But it's like if if B, at times if Bijan's not making it happen for them, they are struggling to get it done. And I wonder if that will impact them. Although, again, against TCU with that defense, maybe not. Although I do think TCU's defense has played better the last few weeks. Johnston went down in the first play of the game mm-hmm. like that. Uh, Feldman reported that he apparently had come into the game with an injury. Uh, but I, I was impressed by Max Duggan, like continue to stay in the fight and find other open guys later on. We, I, I will say the other thing is like, as Tom has mentioned several times, Texas tech does seem to, or Texas TCU does seem to play all these defenses or all these quarterbacks rather. And they lose their, they lose their quarterback. With Texas Tech, though, I feel like that doesn't actually apply because Texas Tech has three quarterbacks, and they're all just somewhere between below average to decent. Like, none of them are special. Morton's a true freshman who last week was 11 of 33. So, to me, I'm not really sure it's the same thing as, like, when when Kansas State lost both of their guys, I guess. 
as we turn our attention uh, to to Pac-12's like, still kind of in action. But did you get any eyes on uh, Oregon and Colorado, Utah, Arizona, or Stanford hates fun and Stanford hates defense as Washington State jumps out to a 42-7 to halftime lead in Palo Alto. Uh, what'd you make from the Pac-12? Stanford got what it deserved. Shouldn't have benched the tree. I mean, like literally, that's the only thing you have going for you. That is probably the most famous thing about your football program is that dumb tree, and you're gonna ban it anyway. Um, sneak preview of locks. <laughs> I had I had a lot of Washington State this week. I thought the team total under was the best way to play it, but like, uh, I'll probably be, who does Stanford play next week? It doesn't matter. I'll be I'll be against them on locks again. That, that that's a dead team walking. They've quit. Like, is he in any tr- like? Is there any danger around David Shaw? Yeah. You sure? You think so? I don't I how about this? Let me change it from um it's not danger around David Shaw as much as it is my belief that there could be a change. I, I they just lost so many guys to injury this year. They're, they're kind of in that Boston College situation on the offensive line. They don't have any receivers to throw to. All their top running backs are gone. I've never heard of some of these guys, and I follow recruiting pretty hard, as you guys know. I'm like, who is this? Who is that? I, I don't know. So, so my belief is more like resignation, take another job, lateral move. NFL comes calling. Like, if they're insulting is, in the NFL, so yeah, just something where it's like I'm. I am frustrated that number one, and this is none of this is like sourced or reporting, but. If, if I'm just to game this out right now, he is probably frustrated at some of the institutional challenges that he has faced, not only as it pertains to academics, but as it pertains to everything that has happened since the beginning of 2020 and the way that that university is operated. I cannot help but imagine that if the student body is trying to revolt against the administration because they can't party, that there's probably other hurdles that the football program is facing as well. And I got to think that if we've got this sort of like cultural, what do we want to be moment for the Stanford community, that the football program is not getting top billing. Like somebody, somebody floated to me, uh, Harbaugh was able to like do some things that David Shaw might not be able to do. And I have no idea what that means and like what. Oh, I do. Okay. Well, I don't know what that means or what that's hitting on. But David Shaw's frustrations, along with the lack of success, I think could lead to some sort of change. So, I, I, Chip, you, you know how this is when, when the kids are just totally screaming. And you got to you got to like step outside and you get a work call. It's like, oh man, like this is actually it's a nice reprieve from just the the inner chaos of the house. And it was my buddy, and, and he runs personnel at a, a a public school, and we were talking about the little kerfuffle that the NCAA created on. Uh, on Thursday, maybe it was Friday, uh, with the whole like you can't take mid-year transfers anymore thing, and like oh that's right, Chris Hummer and I were reported on this for twenty-four-seven Sports, and ultimately like the schools just laughed it off now because the NCAA just nuked it off the website. It doesn't exist on the website, and we're just like oh, okay, huh? Uh, and then we saw some some emails from some people on the football oversight committee that were like, yeah, uh, 
Not really sure why that was. It was basically either the NCAA just misinterpreted its own rule and issued a clarification, or like maybe there was some pressure from some schools to put this in because athletic directors are worried about the APR, which is silly anyway because APR is going to be changing and is not really uh, well-tailored to suit the transfer uh, world. Now, I'm bringing this back to Stanford, so just give me one more second, Your Honor. Now, Stanford, he said, and these other academic-based schools – are screwed because as teams decide to take more and more transfers to get better on a year to year basis and plug holes and these schools that have these high academic standards can't, they're just going to fall further behind. He's like, dude, Stanford's Stanford's dead. Northwestern's dead. Like programs like that. And like, again, he's a personnel director. That's his opinion. Like, I'm not saying I totally agree with him, but if you if you're at a private school like that and you have really hard admission standards, to take transfers specifically, how do you how do you get better fast enough? What happens if you get a cluster of injuries or if you have a couple of busts in a row? Other schools can go out and take kids. You have a really hard time of doing so. Stanford in particular, by the way, like they have kids transfer out because Stanford grad school doesn't play ball with Stanford undergrad. So you'll see good players on Stanford's roster have to leave and they can't play their final year at Stanford because the grad school won't admit them. Most schools will at least play ball with the grad school and put you in some kind of grad programs you can you can play your final year. Stanford doesn't do that. Nerds. Um I will going rest of the Pac twelve, I want to mention Bo Nix because I did kind of diss him earlier. But Bo Nix threw for two touchdowns, ran for two touchdowns, caught a touchdown. So another typical Bo Nix game in 2022. He continues to kill it. Oregon is destroying everybody in its path right now. And then also, let's talk about the rain shadow on Friday night. We did not get our river in the sky. We got wind. We did get the wind, which is all we (laughs) needed. But we got a rain shadow, which is something I had never heard of until Friday night. But the undercast. Also, the uh, crew on that game really, really thinks Michael Penix is the greatest thing of all time. <laughs> like, is it the Friday night crew uh, that, that does all the UCF Potter. games? Yeah, it was Phil Potware and Carcaterra. Man, okay, yeah. Carcaterra loves him some Michael Penix. <laughs> they they get into their broadcast. I will give those guys. like They're, they're excited mm-hmm. to do these games. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I got to say, Andre and I have differing opinions on Michael Penix. We both think he's got a very strong arm. After that, we kind of differ on our evaluation. I did not watch the the end of that game. I was like, this this game is not uh, not particularly good here. Uh, I was uh, well, like, Chip, can we go to the ACC? I was gonna gonna dovetail this into Boston College. Yeah, I mean, uh, I was just gonna say one last time that uh, that Oregon has Washington at home, Utah at home, Oregon State on the road, and I felt like everything that happened from Colorado was just practice. Yeah, yeah Colorado is just a training game for everybody. They got Sewell at running back. They threw they- a touchdown pass to Bo Nix. Coming up on the other side, we take our conference-by-conference journey to the ACC and the SEC and the best of the rest next Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. 
Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. All right, so Friday night, Boston College, uh, Duke and Boston College, Duke Bowl eligible, um, if you would like to play offensive line for Boston College, Jeff Halfley will have you in Chestnut Hill right now. Um, I, I don't even know how they've got uniforms printed for Boston College's linemen any, anymore. What? But where do you want to take this? So I actually thought Boston College's receivers played well and made a lot of difficult catches. That that was the one, uh, like probably the beat of the year that I'm most angry about. Is is beat is Boston College or Duke minus nine and a half? Losing mainly because the ACC refs just just gave just two absolute nonsense bailout third down PI calls to Boston College in the first half, which is where that game really was lost from a, a spread perspective. It wasn't BC making those nice catches. It was, hey, third and long. Oh, here you go. Pass interference on just two, just in my opinion, total BS calls. The one should have been offensive PI. Like he's literally grabbing the DB as the guy tries to make the pick. So, uh, Credit to Boston College for fighting. They're, we talked about this. They're just kind of a dead team right now because they don't have anybody to block. North Carolina yeah, yeah, did it really difficult in Charlottesville. Are we sure that they're not missing Taylor and what's his name? Because like they got ran on a lot. And earlier this year, I thought for the most part, they were getting thrown on. And like UVA moved it on them some. More in the first half. They made good adjustments. UVA's got good corners. Like, they made things tough for May. That was... Uh, they scored on the... Virginia scored on the opening drive for the first time all season. Yeah. And they did not really pressure Armstrong very much. And that's a problem, I think, because Virginia's offensive line is like a known quantity to be terrible. Like, they're not quite BC bad, but they're close. And... I didn't see a lot of pressure in the backfield from UNC. So, yes, the answer is, of course, they're they're, they're missing Taylor. They're missing Vahasek. They're missing Evans. Like, like They are missing players that are more experienced because there are inexperienced players who have less physical development who are in there playing in these games. I mean, the proposition from a betting perspective always comes down to the idea that you just think North Carolina is going to outscore them. Yeah. But if we're going to say, like, how good of a team are they? They're probably the same as good of a team as they were when they beat App State 63-61. UVA, also we should point this out, was missing Dontavian Wicks, Keaton Thompson, 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 and uh, and da- uh, Davis, the, the the number three receiver on the team. Like Literally, I, I added up, they had like 160-something targets missing 
from receivers and only 35 uh, playing in the game as far as like existing targets on the year. So, congrats to Dave Doran and the Wolfpack. What seemed like it was a lost season. This NC State team might be playing for an orange. Oh, no, Clemson lost. Oh, man. I hadn't put that piece together. Can Clemson still go to the playoff? No. No. What if we get like chaos, chaos? Chaos, chaos, yeah. Yeah. But like, if there is any other one loss power five champion, that team's better than Clemson. (laughs) Okay. I don't think we'll have a one loss power five champion from the Big 12. Maybe from the Pac 12. I would take the Pac 12 champion over Clemson. Yeah. One loss Pac 12 champion. We'll have faced a much more difficult path to get there. Yeah, but Clemson is going to play bowl eligible South Carolina. True, true. <laughs> that does change things. Uh, how about Florida State forty five, Miami three? Did not watch. Did um, Florida State played well? They probably played like their <laughs> B game. Seriously, like maybe their B plus game. Miami played. Uh, Miami looks every bit as bad as Georgia Tech. So right. Georgia Tech is playing Miami in Atlanta next week. Are you yeah. giving the Yellow Jackets a chance? I think Georgia Tech should be favored in that game. Yikes. No, I'm serious. Like, I, like As an FSU guy, I just watched these two teams back-to-back, and Norvell called off the dogs and had the second stringers in there on defense and on offense with like 25 minutes left to go in the game. I mean, it was this could have been 55-3. to three. If they wanted Miami had less than 200 yards of offense. They started Van Dyke. It was obvious there was something wrong with Van Dyke pretty early in the ball game. He injures himself or at least aggravates the injury on a throwaway pass. It looked like the Haynes King thing. Remember Haynes King with it, with the non-contact mm-hmm. uh, shoulder injury the other night. So they bring in uh, Garcia uh, and um, uh, the kid that got out of Valdosta, the, the, the true freshman, um, pretty good player from high school. Those guys don't know what they're doing right now. Miami looks really poorly coached on both sides of the ball. But also, they don't look like they care at all. Like, those DBs just got blocked the whole night. FSU's guys look like they care. They could have been a little bit sharper at times. But, again, I mean, it was 45-3, to three, I think, was the final. And they did it with second and third stringers. Like, they got the final touchdown with the third stringer in there. Um, yeah, Miami... Oh, here's the other thing. John Campbell, Miami's left tackle, who's replacing Zion Nelson, got hurt in pregame warmups. And then Jalen Rivers, who's probably their best offensive lineman, and Campbell came back, he did play, but like he didn't look perfect. Rivers uh gets hurt in like the first quarter as well. And so they just had they had nothing, man. It was uh they don't seem like they care. They don't play together as a team. It's like, hey, we have a good defensive line, a good back. Bad fans, no cohesion as a team. That's pretty much what it like. That, that's the recap. <laughs> Why you gotta throw the fans? Oh, because oh the the, the uh, it was I, I don't even know who called the game, uh, but they're like, oh, the crowd noise here is electric. I'm like, really? Because it sounds like it's all like like fake pumped in noise. You can kind of hear the speakers on the TV. But Are they, so is that team on to 2023 already? Yeah, I, I think so. Yeah, okay. I, I think they've quit. They did not play hard tonight at all. Like it was go watch the go watch the touchdown that FSU goes up twenty one to three 
specifically here, like that's the one play I can point to where the DBs just do not give a damn. They're just like, yeah, block me, whatever. I don't want to get hurt. I'm not, not tackling. So we've got a pretty good audience going right now. We're, we'll keep this going for just a little bit longer as we continue our path around uh, the entire country. Why don't you do us a favor? Smash the like, smash the subscribe, hit the bell for notifications. You can get all of this great cover three content whenever you want. Pit 19, Syracuse 9. That's how you hit the biggest possible audience. <laughs> Schrader did not play for uh, for Syracuse. Yeah. Nope. Abaconda did not play uh, for Pitt. Pitt still ran the backup quite a bit. Uh, Syracuse really couldn't do anything. And Pitt got a safety at the end. Panthers 5-4. and four. Final stretch for Pitt includes a game against Miami. They will beat Miami. Um, Miami cannot block Pitt. Uh, again, congratulations to NC State, MJ Morris. <clears throat> First true freshman to start for NC State since? Devin Leary. Phillip Rivers. Phillip Rivers. Really? Yep. It's been that long. Total guess. True freshman to start for the NC State Wolfpack. It is MJ Morris. He gets the 30 to 21 win. The Wolfpack improved to seven and two, three and two in the ACC for Wake Forest. Uh, it is a, a disappointing little skid here. You follow the loss to Louisville with a loss to NC State, which sets up for you probably beating North Carolina next week, right? <laughs> That's the way this goes. Yes, for sure. Yeah. Like I cannot believe that we're sitting here and NC State over eight and a half wins is still alive on the the win total sheet. Considering everything that has happened, (laughs) that should not be a thing, and it is. Um, Well, hey, what's what's important is that uh, my push on Tennessee under eight is still alive. Oh, Jordan's paying attention. (laughs) 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 I'm gonna eat it as soon as Tennessee gets that ninth win. I was hoping it was today, but it was not today. Uh, Speaking of the SEC, let's go ahead and get there. You mentioned bowl eligible South Carolina. We've already hit Georgia, Tennessee. We've already hit LSU, Alabama, Florida with a 41 to 24 win against the uh, flu ridden Texas A&M Aggies. Arkansas falls at home to Liberty. Mississippi State wins in overtime in a game that went to overtime against Auburn. Uh, Didn't see that. And uh, Vanderbilt Moneyline Sprinkle uh, sadly falls short as South Carolina is able to defend that early lead. What do we make from the SEC this week? What the hell, A&M? Like, again, this is two weeks in a row. I had the meme ready. Kevin Garnett screaming, anything is possible. Iowa's got 24 points in the early third. Texas A&M's got 24 points at halftime. I'm just waiting for them to both hit 30 so I could send it out. And then neither of them scores again. They, they haven't scored 30 points in an FBS game since Halloween, Tom. <laughs> of 20, wow, 2021. <laughs> oh, my gosh. What, what do you think Jimbo makes per touchdown in SEC play? <laughs> like 900 grand? Uh, that's probably too much. It's got to, but it's, Jim, it, might be, to it might be 100K. Jimbo to Auburn. No, Who says no. Alabama after Saban retires. Remember, we talked about that earlier in the show. Jimbo's going to take that job. 
Matt, what would Alabama fans' reaction be if Saban retired and Jimbo took the job right now? They'd be furious, right? I would. Yeah, they would lose their minds. Would Auburn fans be happy to get Jimbo? They wanted him in 2017. I, I would say I wouldn't be happy, but if I'm an Auburn fan, at least I have proof of concept that I can win a national title. And maybe Jimbo can come to Auburn and win a national title, whereas at Texas A&M, they think they can, but they haven't been able to for a very long time. But, no, I wouldn't be happy if I was an Auburn fan. I mean, this is five losses in a row? It's yeah. the longest losing streak since the 80s. Now, look, in fairness, AM has had a ton of injuries this year in a way that, like, no, we don't, we don't do fairness. Not at Texas AM. <laughs> and they did have the flu this week at practice. Like, they had a couple guys out. There, there's a real flu going on. So it is possible. But they should, they should not be missing a bowl, which now they are going to, I think. Auburn, UMass, and LSU. And if they beat LSU, they make a bowl. They're missing a bowl. They'll lose to Auburn. Who are we kidding? That COVID year is doing a whole lot of work for Jimbo Fisher, Texas A&M, man. Telling you. What's his record without the COVID year in SEC play again? It's about as good as your record picking service academy overs. (laughs) We're going to go. (laughs) Oh, man. That was fantastic. (laughs) Why do you hate America so much, bud? Why are you taking like have you learned your lesson yet? I Army Navy's in a few weeks. What are you gonna do? Well, I did look at my number for that because I, I I looked at it, I was like, what the heck? am I gonna have to bet over on this? And initially I was like, uh but I think my number on that's like 31, Tom. And they're not gonna hang a total in the 20s. So I probably will not be betting over on that. I will not. I if they hang a total in the twenties, I will bet the over. <laughs> but until they do, I am betting the under because after today, it is forty three nine and one since two thousand and five. We had interceptions. We had missed field goals. We had turnovers on down. We had everything that we needed to be able to make this happen. Um, did you see? Wow! So the troops. <laughs> All right. Did you see the end of the, of the Kentucky game? No. Amazing. Okay, so this was one of the win games of the day. Kentucky gets up 14-3. They totally just, like, step on it, and Missouri comes all the way back. Kentucky uh, then either takes the lead or this is the drive where they took the lead. But anyway, they, uh, they snap the ball over the punter's head, right? He rushes back to get it, okay? Now, here's a rule. As long as you're within the tackle box, even on a, a punt that is now 15 yards deeper than you were initially standing, like he's standing in his own end zone, basically, you can still rough the punter, Tom. So <laughs> Missouri lost this game because they roughed the punter about 35 yards deep of where the initial line of scrimmage was. 
which allowed Kentucky like it was a 45 net yard game from where the roughing occurred, you know, beyond line of scrimmage, 15 yards, etc. Now I feel bad for the punter because to me it looked like he broke his leg and he, he had to leave on the cart. So that looks like that thing looked like it hurt a whole lot. It, it's at least a bruise, if, if not a break. I'm not a doctor. Uh, but yeah, Kentucky ends up winning the ball game <laughs> over Missouri. Uh Drinkwitz was like just beside himself that that could possibly be a rule, but he was between the hashes, which is technically inside the tackle box. I guess you can't rough the punter if he's outside the tackle box. Yeah, because then he becomes a ball carrier. Right. Okay. Yeah. Um, is that why they do the shifts sometimes mm-hmm. with the punter? Mm-hmm. And I'm sense. supposed to be our special teams coach. I, I told you, I really only need to be in charge of vibes. Okay. I need somebody else to do the offense, somebody else to do the defense. You can call me special teams coach, but it's really just vibes. Chip, Chip's like, I'm a special teams coach. He's just on the side. They go, go kick it through them things. There you go, buddy. Come on. You can do it. I believe in you. Listen, you've done this so many times, okay? This is no different. This is no different than any of those other times that you've done this. You got this. Uh, anything outside of the the uh, the power, we, we've only scanned the power fives, but as we boast often, uh, we are not a, a we don't we don't only focus on the SEC. We don't only focus on the Big Ten. We don't only focus on the Power Five. We try to give our love all across the board. It doesn't always happen on Saturday night because of our I don't know work responsibilities and uh, live blogging duties at CBS Sports HQ and otherwise. But anything else from Saturday that we want to go ahead and get to before um, before we get out of here. SMU 77, Houston 63. Shout out to Matt Norlander who offered the anecdote that Houston might not allow 77 points in basketball throughout the entire conference schedule. (laughs) And I think he's right. SMU had 13 drives, scored touchdowns on 11 of them, but one of them was at the very end of the first fourth quarter to end the game when they were kneeling it out. They had one punt. (laughs) That's... And honestly, Houston had had a pretty good, pretty decent defense up until this point. Uh, I have a fun fact here. SMU scored more points in the first half than Miami scored in its last 10 halves. And who coaches SMU? Brett Lashley. Who was Miami's offensive coordinator last year? Yikes. Lashley. <laughs> Yikes. That's brutal. Who was Miami's um, offensive coordinator this year? That is Broyles Award winner, Josh Gaddis. Yep. Oh. Michigan offense sure looks like it's fallen off a cliff. Um, all right, so question here. Did you guys watch Troy? No. <laughs> yeah, no, we guessed that it was going to be minute 70 that you mentioned this game. It was minute <laughs> 74 that you mentioned this game. All right, so Troy gets down 17 to nothing, and they don't do a damn thing on offense the whole day for the most part. And then they scored 24 points in the final frame and blank Louisiana on the road to not lock up their division, but I think they basically have, what do they have, ULM and somebody else left who they really should beat, Um, maybe Texas State ULM. So uh, shout out, Troy, on that. And also, like, I know we mentioned Coastal. Let's go.
the coaching job done by Jamie Chadwell this year is better than the coaching job he did last year. Like Grayson McCall has been hurt a lot of this year. He was hurt in this game and banged up. App has just physically looking superior players. And if you talk to other guys in that league, you're like, yeah, App should push those dudes around. Like App just has a different level of athlete than most of us have here. And Jamie Chadwell in that offense, Willie Korn, I, now I forgot the other OC's name. They just schemed to death. It was just wide open dudes. And then defensively, they did just enough. And it was, uh, that was impressive. They're going to lock up the Sunbelt East. And that's going to be a pretty, pretty fun matchup, by the way, seeing Troy's defense go against Coastal's offense. Who do you think has the inroads for the New Year's Six? Tulane. They have a tough home stretch. But I I just I'm not convinced at this point that the committee's gonna rank a Sunbelt team over the American. I'm not saying I don't believe there won't be a better Sunbelt team than the American champion, but I just I have a hard time thinking that if Tulane, even if it loses another game, if it wins the American, I don't think there's gonna be another group of five champion ranked higher than it. The Green Wave, who are twenty seven to thirteen win- winners at Tulsa, have UCF at home followed by SMU at home, followed by Cincinnati on the road. So UCF could be it, too. Yeah. UCF won today without Plumlee, by the way. Mikey Keene with a couple clutch fourth-quarter touchdown passes for uh, for the Knights to be able to stay keep pace in that race. Right now, <clears throat> Tulane is 5-0 and in conference play. UCF is 4-1. and Cincinnati is 4-1. and SMU at three and two, ECU at three and two, Houston also at three and two. You got to think those top three teams, Tulane, UCF, and Cincinnati, some combination of that group ends up making it to the mm-hmm. AAC title game. Mm-hmm. Or maybe Temple if they get hot. Cause I don't know if you saw they, uh, they put a four on USF today in the bottom 25 game of the century of the week. Is Jeff Scott getting fired tomorrow? I don't think so. I actually think he gets 2023. I'm just saying, we saw, Clemson's we saw Clemson's offense tonight. Might it be better for all parties involved if Jeff Scott gets fired tomorrow and goes back, goes back to Clemson? I mean, that, that's a very Clemson move. We just got done talking about how you need power five experience outside of Clemson's coaching staff on this offense. And so they go rehire somebody who has almost only Clemson experience. They've got one win against an FBS opponent under Jeff Scott, right? Or is it power five? No, No, it's it's FBS. FBS. Yeah. It has not been going well. And it's like, yikes. Like, I don't think you should expect South Florida to be competing for AAC titles or anything, but you would think that for a school in Tampa, it should be doing a hell of a lot better than it is. I don't think they're serious about Okay, I'm going to get USF fans mad at me. I don't think that in recent years they have been serious about football in the way that UCF is. And thus, UCF is moving to the Big 12 and USF is stuck. Now, they're, they do have a, a new facility coming. They, they're trying to invest more. The AD there, I think, is pretty tied to the Jeff Scott hire, though. Agree with Jordan in the chat. They need a vibes coordinator. 
I like Raleigh. Tampa's cool, but not moving. Tampa's nice. Tampa's nice. Tip, yeah, yeah, yeah. Tampa's cool. Tom, I think you can mark uh, Hawaii uh, plus 27 and a half as a loser yeah. for me. Hey, 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 there's there's Probably. still 18 there's, minutes left. Are you, are, you trying to reverse, are you trying to reverse jinx mush this again? Yes, I'm, 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 try, I'm, I'm trying to Fresno backdoor this thing again. Yes. Yeah. Here we go. Tampa, uh, you know, pretty pretty cool place. Did the Astros win? Yes, they did. Congratulations to the Houston Astros on winning the World Series. Congratulations to LAFC on winning MLS. And congratulations to me on having title futures out on both of them. So I'm also a champion. Thank you. Nicely done, Tom. Nice. Oh, uh, I guess one last game. CUSA. UAB oh, UTSA? A- yeah. Yeah, double overtime. Frank Harris with a winning pass. I only saw the play, didn't see the game yet. I've got it flagged. Did you have any eyes on it? I had a little bit, and honestly, like, what a comeback effort from UAB. I, I don't think this UTSA team is anywhere near as good as the one that won CUSA last year. And, like, last year I thought West Kentucky and UAB were, or, excuse me, and UTSA were pretty damn good. And this year I think there's probably, like, four Three, four, yeah, probably four teams that are that same level ish in the league, but UTSA just they have the quarterback that nobody else has. Frank Harris is is really damn good, man. And I, what I didn't see is how did they get to overtime? Like I, I switched that off, and all of a sudden Jacob Zeno because Dylan Hopkins didn't play for uh, for UAB. That was that was wild. It's all, it's on the watch list. Um, again, only saw Harris and uh, a story around the end of the game. Like the gamer that was written from it was about sort of him being like, nah, I got this. Here we go. And the dude has been incredible all season, has been for a minute now for UTSA. So I look forward to digging into that. Uh, UAB scoring two touchdowns <clears throat> late in the game to force it, but UTSA gets it done. Massive results within Conference USA and uh, – very, very cool to see another good finish. Bananas, bananas day all together. It's this. We needed more than one screen, bud. Did we like if you were OK? I'm not. I, I, what I, what game would you have been really pissed in a time slot if you had to miss it? Obviously, like if you had your phone, you could watch your YouTube TV or your, your CBS Sports app on your phone. Like what time slot were you most like? We were like, I, I cannot believe I missed this one. There was too much to me, going on at night. All right. So I I love college football in all its forms. So all of them. Fair enough. Midday. I might have been wrong in this. I listen. I can't lie. This morning I was watching Army Air Force on one screen. I had Purdue Iowa on the other, and then I had um. What the hell? What's the other Northwestern Ohio State on the third? And I had my windows open because I wanted to feel at one with the wonders. And I was in heaven. I was absolutely loving every single second of it. It was terrible football played in terrible conditions. And I was right there with it. It was gorgeous. It was a spiritual experience. Third to fourth quarter of the 330 slate. I did get to help out with bedtime. There was an opportunity to like, I had to do pregame for uh, Georgia, Tennessee. I had to do halftime for Georgia, Tennessee. Uh, Chase went and got his hair cut. But when everybody like came back from Chick-fil-A after that, 
I did feel like everything was in place, right? Like there wasn't any result where I was like, okay, I need to have my hands on this right now. But once seven o'clock hit and things got started in Baton Rouge, once things got started in Manhattan, once things got rolling in South Bend, kind of kind of spun out of control there for a little bit. But yeah, I had family here all day. And like I was down here unless it was halftime of the game. Isn't that I would go up and spend 15 minutes and then get back down here to watch because I didn't want to miss a thing. <laughs> I okay. I think I was probably wrong about that overall, but like Florida, like Florida State Miami was a bad game. Clemson Notre Dame was a bad game, right? Kansas State Texas, honestly, it's pretty sloppy and just like kind of both defenses look kind of crappy. So I, I don't know, like, like the two really big games to me delivered. And I really think, like, if this wasn't my job, and I, I had a Guys, you know, I got screens, but if this wasn't my job, I was like, hey, we're doing like some photos today or like, you know, I had to attend something. If like, if it's something I could attend, that I could just watch one screen. I really don't feel like there was a game where I was like, damn, I cannot believe I missed that other game. It was just, there was one, like there was one banger game in the afternoon and one banger game at night I needed to see. In the news like you could have skipped entirely today, I think. I just told you, I saw God in the screen <laughs> for three hours. And he said, Tom, it's going to be okay. Congratulations to Troy Calhoun. First outright win for the Falcons since 2016 in the commander in chiefs trophy. That oh, yeah. is a rizap. Got it. I mean, so I, I, we're not going to have to do like a watch party for army Navy now, or no, we, we probably are. Oh, okay. That's fine. I don't care. Cause I'm going to be on the under. And it's going to be glorious, and it's going to be over in two and a half hours. And I hope Bud's on the over again, just so I could rub it in his face. <laughs> I'll, I'll probably take the, if if they hang at twenty eight or twenty nine, like they won't. 31, 31, We'll see. They they never will. They're we'll do thirty three, and we'll be on the under. I'm going to say it's going to be thirty six and a half. I'm not Easy under thirty six and a half. If, if you watch Navy. All right. Six and a half. All right, let's 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 get out of here. <laughs> we'll be back on Monday. Uh as always, eleven AM Eastern time with upon further review, all the takeaways from USC Cal, from UCLA, Arizona State, from the rest of the night slate, and those games that we did not get our full attention to here on Sat a very, very, very busy Saturday. And you can follow him on Twitter at Bud Elliott3. You can follow him at Tom Fernelli. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Thank you. See y'all.